What's up, everyone? We are back. It's an all-new episode of Unbuckled Chinstrap. But quickly, I want to give a shout-out and thank each of you. We're rated number four on Apple Podcasts Sports News Shows. All thanks to you. And if you haven't and you're listening right now, please consider subscribing to the show. Leave us a five-star rating and write a review. And here's an extra carrot. If you write in your review a question for myself or a future guest, we'll do our best to get to them on subsequent shows. There are very few shows that actually do that. It's our way of engaging. Now, to this week's episode, it's the first that features an Atlas teammate of mine, none other than Trevor Baptiste. And without a doubt, you know him for his performance on field, dating back to the NCAA records at Denver. If you follow him or the PL on social, you'll know about his personality, all that speed that he brings to the discussion. Well, he brought both, a lot of speed. And we sat down in Philadelphia at the lacrosse convention when it was all said and done in a private room at the end of the day to reflect and discuss a number of topics, including how he got into the faceoff position, how he learned the technique and began to excel, what it was like to play for the legend Coach Bill Tierney at Denver. And then I wove in my relationship with Coach Petro. So without sharing more, let's just get right into it. Step in, motherfucker. Well, let's fucking go then. Are we let's in? Go. Are we in. started it? We're in. All right. I'm on the podcast of Paul Rave. Let's go. I've got the biggest personality in the game right now. Nah, I don't know if I go that far. I don't know. Who is it? It's not me. I don't know. I just, I don't know if I'd say that about myself. Yeah, fair enough. You don't want to say that about yourself. Exactly. But other people say that about you. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> where, did, where did you get that jokester mentality? Uh, but you keep it real. You keep it very serious when needed. Yeah. And you'll pump up the team in the huddle like yeah. you did in Denver, like you did in Atlanta. Yeah. Like you did in Albany. Yeah, you know, I think uh, I like to have fun, obviously. You know, I like to have a ton of fun. Um but at the same time, you know, there's, there's, there's a time to be serious, you know, especially like on the field. Uh, like I find a lot of joy in enjoying the moment, if that makes sense, you yeah. know, or you like, I, I really like, I feel like being too serious just isn't part of my game like, until I need to be. You Have know? you ever been too serious and it screwed up your game? I mean, I totally identify with that, but I still yeah. get pulled more towards this too serious. Yeah. Than- Light? I think so. Yeah, I think been too serious. Uh, well, you played for Bill Tierney. Right. It's probably... Maybe that's why. The maybe, most serious. Right. And maybe that's why I'm, like, more relaxed just to balance it out, you know? And Coach T, he's, he's my boy, you know? like Yeah, you guys are tight. Oh, my God. He's my guy. Um, and, like, uh, you know, like when he would yell at me or <laughs> yell at anyone, really, uh, you just kind of wipe it off, you know? It's, whatever did he ever kick you out of practice no never never kicked me out of practice did he kick players out of practice um it's not his thing petro used to kick us out of practice that's not his thing i got kicked out of practice three four times my senior year alone really yeah like if you just weren't playing well that day you just kicked you out no you just yeah probably a combination of that one time i talked back to bobby benson oh really and Petro didn't have that for one second, rightfully uh, so. Kicked me out of practice. He's just like, get out. Yeah, and then he would uh, – he had this way about him. He's very good at it from a psychology standpoint, from a coaching standpoint. He takes a, takes a page out of the legends of, of coaching. Right. That 
no one is better than the team. And often the best examples you can set for that are your captains or your best players. So he would, when I was a freshman, go after our captains to set the example. And then he would bring the captains into the, to his office right afterward and, and hash it out. So he knew that we were aligned. Like, you are saying, like, get on their case. Intentionally. Yeah, so right, he would right, right. set us up for sprints, and he would have us continue to run until Steve Peiser or I, and it was often Steve, would step up and tell him we're not doing it anymore. And then he would be like, what did you say? Like, we're not doing it anymore. And he'd be like, get out of practice. And then he would, and then he would cancel sprints, and they'd get back to practice, and Steve or I would be out. What? <laughs> what? It was great. I mean, I hated it at the time. That just threw me for a loop. <laughs> you would make your run sprints and want you to say. And want a captain to step up. And be like, yo, on we're not running teammates. these sprints anymore. That's right. And then he'd be like, all right, why would you say that? Don't talk back Don't to me. Don't talk back I'm to me. I'm the coach. Get out. Now you're out. And but then the rest of the team has done sprints because of your captain, and we'll go back. So he wants to be. He, he, wants he to understood. Be, he wants you to talk back to him, technically. No, well, well, that was the, the tricky part is we would never talk back to him. It would be very nerve wracking. Yeah. We'd stand up and be like, enough. We're tired. Let's get back to practice. And this only happened on a few occasions because, you know, in college lacrosse, the season is so long. And when you go through spells, look, I played on two national championship teams. We went to three national championships in my four years. And of each of those three years that we went to a national championship, two of them, we, were lo- we went on four-game losing streaks. Two of them. So we were, at one point, my junior and senior year, considered one of the worst classes in Hopkins history and then would make this huge run. So when I say that, he was the master of understanding the ebb and flow of the season. Right. And then he would disrupt it during practice on micro levels. I figured because he he was a disciple of uh, or one of the coaching tree uh, limbs of Bill Tierney. So I figured that probably came from Bill at some point, but I guess not. He never kicked you guys out of practice. He never kicked us out of practice. Disrupt the flow, the monotony, right? You you, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, practice, game, turnover, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And you're doing that in college. In high school, you have – Six weeks of season. It's so short in high right, school. Right, right. We have six weeks of preseason in right, college. Yeah. Wow. I like that. Disrupt. Yo, that's that's crazy. That just the fact that, that he would want you to say, yeah. <laughs> Yo, we're, we're not running these sprints anymore. All right, get the hell out of here. Yeah. And then, all right, everybody else, we're not running these sprints anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Do what Paul said, but Paul, get out. Don't you ever say that again. Yeah. Like what? <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was uh it was crazy. It taught us a lot of lessons though. Definitely, how to know? stand up for yourself. Right, 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 right. Definitely. Right, even if it was standing up against the coach. Right. And then I learned all this in hindsight. Right, you graduate or the season ends, and you sit in his office, kick back, and you talk yeah. about those moments. And he's like, you know, that was planned. And you're like, oh, you got me. <laughs> Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so this is what it's also like talking. Oh, it's kind of nice what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> this is what it's also like talking to TB is he's, uh, you're, you've, you've always struck me as really curious, and uh, you'll sit back on a point, and you'll like, observe it. You, I can see you like thinking back through your brain. Yeah. You're like, all right, 
I get it. Yeah. All right. I can vibe with it, you know? Yeah. All right. Tell me, tell gonna... me about some of the, the Bill Tierney stories. <sighs> Man, there's a lot. You know, it, it, it's interesting, like, like you made that comparison of, of uh, Dave and Bill being in the same, uh, you know, coaching lineage. Um, I think there was a lot of structure, you know, and like a lot of routine. So like every Monday we ran a mile after practice. That's like what we did. So in between practice and lift, Monday mile after practice, it was terrible. Yep, not for me. Yeah, and it was, and it was supposed to be under six. So he would like time it. And yeah, that's he, fast. And we ran around the field, and all the coaches would stay in the corners, so you couldn't cut the corners. So you would run around the field. And you'd run around the coaches, and Coach T would be in the corner of the field with a stopwatch, and he'd be like, "One minute," and then like every, it'd be like two minutes. So like every Monday, every Monday. So so you'd yell out like like all right, one minute down, two minute down. So you'd be like, so you could tell like oh like we're two minutes in, and I'm not like I'm only on like lap one or whatever. Right. You know, you got to keep like you got to start moving. Um, but he's like in the far corner with like his hood on. It's like freezing cold endeavor. And he's just like three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man. No, but uh but yeah, you I think like I don't really have anything like you know, like he was tough. I think during the games everyone sees his worst, you know. He's he what he's not that type of guy off the field. I'm sure like you know, like what just yelling at refs. Right, yelling at refs and like and just being like, like he's, I feel like he's like more of a soft spoken guy yeah. off the field. I've really enjoyed my time with Coach T and, you know, played under his nephew, Seth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've, I, I've also grew up in a basketball era of Dean Smith, Roy Williams, Coach K, Gary Williams, Bobby Knight, right. where. Similar to the point around Coach Petro, there's a, there's an art in psychology around the game within the game of refereeing. Right. And, you know, the interesting thing, it's kind of like a, a Tucker Durkin slash. Tucker, every every check that Tucker makes could be called a slash because it's but because it's every single check, you can't throw a flag every time he throws a stick. Right. So he's able to get away with a more aggressive style of play. Right. And Bill Tierney berates referees every single time he's out there. And if you take a more subtle coach and they raise their voice at a ref, they're going to be flagged immediately. So there's some gamesmanship. Oh, he's definitely. earned it. Yeah, definitely. Um, he's certainly earned it, more than earned it, with his pedigree and his championship trophy shelf. Um, but I, I, I do believe it's it's his his the way that he games the system and puts himself in a position to win. And I think that's ultimately one of the biggest jobs of a coach oh definitely yeah no no question and I think yeah and and to your point you know like yeah he's definitely strategic with it like, what did he do to you how did he get you ready for games did he not did, were you like uh someone that everyone would stay away from because you're batting 80 percent no 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 I was like the guy uh I feel like I'm definitely more hype now in pros um, like a little, like more animated now than I was in college. Yeah, I didn't see many smiles on your face, like walking out to the face-off X with your Denver lid on. Right, yeah, yeah. It was just like, it was almost focus. Right. No emotion. Right, right. And, I mean. Assassin. Probably, that's it. No ass is safe. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Silent assassin, bro. <laughs> 
No, but uh, no, uh, but it, no, that actually comes from something Coach T told me. So he was, uh, it was when I was a freshman, and I was like doing well. We're making a playoff push, and I was like, oh, like we're we have a team to win the national championship, you know, and that's our goal this year. Was this in 2015? 2015, yeah. And he said, you know, like when you're facing off. He's like, you can't let your highs get too high. You can't let your lows get too low. He's like, you just got to be even. He's like, you can't. He's like, you almost have to be like, he's like like a quarterback or like a kicker or like, you know, he's like, you just got to be, you just got to react and just play. Yeah. You know, like you might lose next 10 play, in a row. Next play, next neutral, play, neutral, neutral, neutral. Yeah, keep it neutral. He's like, because once you get too high, he's like, you're going to start getting jumpy or, or then you're going to get on a cold streak and then that just, amplifies it even more so he's like you just got to stay neutral uh so the, for a while until probably like my junior or senior year like i was just very like neutral like maybe you have like one of the best plays ever and like but he barely would celebrate yeah like, i'd be like all right like yeah all right next face off you when, know when did you start working on your shot because you were scoring a bunch at denver you had those step downs yeah a couple of twos this year yeah, yeah. The Atlas. I, I think, uh, I mean, I always loved shooting. You know, were you a, were you a face-off player first, no. cross player second? Yeah. So That's I, right. So, yeah, so I started playing in, like, sixth grade. I played defense, like, long pole. Long pole D. Yeah. Then I right. switched to attack in, like, seventh grade. Yeah. And then. And then goalie. And then. You played every I played position. a little goalie. Yeah. <laughs> I did play a little goalie. I played for a day. You know, I, I started like, my I'm first out. position was face-off. <laughs> No way. Yeah, yeah, I took some face-offs because it was just a – it wasn't a thing. Right, back then. Yeah. Yeah, it was just, just like yeah. throw out one of your midfielders right, to right, right. take a draw. And then you were the guy. Until there was a better guy. Until there was a better <laughs> guy. <laughs> Not like that. No, yeah. So you started in sixth grade? Yeah, started in sixth grade, went from defense to attack to midfield to um, play a little goalie, like I said. And then when I got to high school, I was playing attack, and – they were like, dude, you're like, you're really athletic. Like, you're fast. Like, you you should play midfield. And I was like, okay. And then they're like, oh, we need a backup faceoff guy. Like, you should be the backup faceoff guy. Oh, no way. And I was like, okay. Yeah. Really, yeah like, I'm cool with that. Seems kind of fun. Um, so then my freshman year, my high school coach at the time, Bill Rentiers, he was a he took faceoffs in college. And he's like, yeah, I'll teach you how to face off. And, like, you could just be our backup in case our starter gets hurt. And I was like, all right. Uh, and after practice, we would face off against each other for, like, an hour and a half. Um, so I'm, like, going against, like, this grown-ass man, you know, and he would just, like, kick my teeth in. Like, he would yeah. not go easy on me. And, like, like physical battling, like, grinding our heads together. Did you together. wrestle? Why did you love it so much? It just, you just I just I, I found mean, I like it. Physic physicality, and I like the, I like the idea of just going head-to-head. You know, yeah, and just battling for something, but never wrestled. It's never one wrestled. on one. It's the only right. part of the game consistently that we have that's one on one. Right. Yeah. And I just kind of I like that. Like I like the, I like that. It, yeah. Even an O and D line, there are schemes. Right. Right. Because that's all, a one on one battle, help. and the same thing with corners and receivers. Right. In in the face off position, you have help from the wings, but right. It's literally the game within the game definitely yeah no question when did you start working with mattis oh i started working with mattis uh and how did you find him or he find you so i found mattis uh because so i was playing for a club team 
I started my first year, like, I tried out for a club team, building blocks across. I made the team just because all my friends tried out. That was the only reason why I wanted to do it. I was like, oh, my friends are doing it. I want to do it. Wasn't really taking lacrosse that seriously. And I tried out as an attackman, made the team as an attackman. And I played that whole high school year of midfield. So they were like, okay, well, if you're playing midfield in high school, you might as well take like play midfield for us too. And uh, you can take some face-offs as well, you know, because our guys, like, like you can help this other guy out. So there's, we had, like, a couple of face-off guys on the team. So, like, I was doing okay, but I wasn't nearly – I was I was, I was average, you yeah. know. And this guy on my team was from Westfield. He's like, hey, like, all the face-off guys work with Chris Mattis in, like, around this area. Uh, you should reach out to him. Like, he'll, he'll really help you. And I was like, okay. So I reached out to him and – uh, so what, this is like my sophomore year about, and Mattis is the man, dude. Like, yeah. like everything he taught me and just how he taught me. And, uh, I remember it was like my junior year, I was like starting to get really good. And he like came up to me, he was like, Hey, like, uh, cause I would do like a private session with him or like a small group session. Mm-hmm. He was like, Hey man, like, I don't want to, I don't want you to pay me anymore he's like i want to train with you because like like you're you're gonna make me better like if we go against each other was he still at records at the time or no he he was playing for florida launch oh, so he was in mll yeah, yeah 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 so he's like i want you to like help me train for like the mll season he's yeah like, let's like go against each other got like, it. for real he's like i'm not like, i don't want to coach you anymore like let's train together and this came through the face-off academy which mattis was working with not, at the time not really so it was literally through so kind of the fa- the formation, local connection and right here, local, meet this guy right and kind of the formation of the face-off academy in my eyes i don't want to speak for them you know but greg jerry and and chris were all coaching face-offs and doing really well and having a huge client base and they're like well let's make an academy out of this you know so right. So Chris was already like the guy in North, like one of the Chris and Jerry were the guys in North Jersey, you know, and then Greg was in I don't know New York, and then they had all these guys in like that area. They're like, oh, let's like com- combine this all and make an academy. Yeah. Um, so, so that I was, was happening that. while you were. It was like right when I met him. Yeah. Yeah. Like on that. And what were some there. of the nuances that Chris did really well for you? Like if you were to say one to two things that he instructed that changed your game as a draw guy i would say like the the he didn't just teach me how to face off he taught me the mental side of the game too you know so he would say you know like all right like you win the ball out like this all right like this is going to work against this guy you win the ball like this then you know everybody he's he's going to think that you're just going to win it like this again you know so now win it out here cuz then because he thinks you're going to win out this way he's going to step this way now win the ball out here once you win out there then he's going to overplay the right side then you can win out to the left side so almost like picking apart them mentally yeah playing ra- chess exactly rather than just about the technique yeah. he's the, he taught me a ton of technique too but like the chess was yep. that was I think that's the key really and you still use that 
style of chess today. 100%. Hold up, hold up. Quick break in the conversation with Trevor. This episode is being supported by shop.premierlacrosseleague.com. It is our official PLL merchandise store. And if you want to be a part of the fastest growing sports league in the world, I'm encouraging you right now, as is Trevor, to grab your merch and support our movement. The PLL shop has everything from jerseys, t-shirts, a Vineyard Vines collection that we can't keep on shelves, e-shelves, actual shelves at retail, team socks, hats, and much, much more, especially Trevor Baptiste jerseys. So get them while they're available. They sell out fast. Back to Trevor. What about all the people, and it just is what it is, you and I have had this conversation in the PLL, uh, you know, I think has, has a great face-off set of rules and year uh, one was I think better than what any of us ex- had expected given that you know we did update the rules slightly but that was with your guys input uh, but we also had a conversation in that look the face-off has been a point of contention for a while yeah um, whether or not the Olympics adopts it because of the six on six current strategy or not, that's only one form of the game. How do you think about advocating for face offs? Like if so, I were to say, all right, man, pressure's on, 20 yeah, minutes yeah. in the pod. Yeah. Talk no. about the draw. I, so I, uh, I'm happy you asked me that because I was actually thinking about this very deeply the other day. Okay, good. Um, I'm going to put the microphone down. Yeah. So, like, I, so, couple things from my stance right so obviously previously you know when everybody talked about getting rid of the face off I was I took the approach of I don't want to be that guy to come out and say no 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 you shouldn't get rid of it because everybody say oh Trevor you're a talented face off guy like obviously you don't want to get rid of the face off you know so I I always like I always wanted to hear people out you know like like what what the what don't they like about it you know, or, or why they think it should go. Now, from my understanding, there's there's a few things. One is like the how it slows down the game, right? So the time from goal being scored to we're back playing is a lot of time with the face off. Now, to that point, I think the PL rules were amazing because the ball the, there was lines. Right. So you could go down. There's a visual line to put your stick on so that you didn't have the ref messing up, like line you up. That is a complete waste of time, and it annoys me as a face-off guy. I think no, I think they should be putting lines on every single field for the face-off. Um, so, and then you think about. Now, I remember. I think probably one of the biggest quotes was was I think it was Desco back in the day. Uh, they lost to Duke, I think, or or someone, and he was like, you know, like we should get rid of face-offs. Uh, someone who, and I think he said, like, I don't mean it as a knock, but the guy who's the least talented lacrosse player on the field is having the most impact on the game. Mm. And, like, I've, I kind of read that and... Those are I words did, of war. I did, I did what, you, I did what uh, you say I do. Like, I read it and I, like, thought. I, like, really thought about it. Like, I, 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 I didn't want to take it as... I wanted to he I wanted to see what he was seeing, you know. Obviously he was really upset. It was right after the game. I think they lost to Duke. Fowler, I think, had a great game. My thing is, look, faceoffs have been part of the have been a part of the game, right? If you don't have a great faceoff guy in, at any level, then you're not putting enough resources in to develop a faceoff guy. Or 
to put resources in having a great coach to coach face-off guys. Perfect example. Chris Mattis coached at Maryland when they won the national championship. They had two face-off guys playing that game, Carino and Henningsen. Henningsen, talented face-off guy, same with Carino. I wouldn't put them in, like, the top 2%, you know? Hardest game I've ever done because – well, you had your your coach, former coach, your sensei, yeah. knowing your habits, right? But that was what tough. I'm saying. What I'm saying is like the way he, like, just even watching the film of that whole year, the way like he set up the wings, the way they game plan. So they're like, all right, we're going against this person. He's really good. They, I mean, they went against every top faceoff guy in the nation that year, and they did really well because they went in with a game plan that worked. Yeah. You know. And then another example, you look at Virginia, won the national championship this past year. He, they went against TD, and yeah, I don't, I don't know the percentages, but TD beat up, beat him up. Like he won a ton of faceoffs, and Virginia won the game. Right. We lost in the first round against Towson. I went ninety-seven percent, and we lost my sophomore year. Yeah. <laughs> we lost the game. <laughs> so my thing is like, yo. Forget about, like, how talented face-off guys are, you know? Like, I don't want to get into that conversation, really. I mean, I kind of do. Yeah, but I can I'm take it there. To. I'm about to take it there. All right. Well, well, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. No, I mean, I'll, t- I'll take it there. If, I'll take it there if you want. But what I am saying is there's ways to – there's so many other layers to the game. No doubt. You know? So you think So you think then the, the biggest point of contention is is the timeliness is what it sounds like, which I, I, I would agree is really important. On average, we scoped out 45 to 60 seconds between a goal and a draw. Right. And so if you're building, a, a in our case, a league in games that fit inside of two-hour windows on network television and you have a potential 17-16 game, you've got a half hour – worth right. between quarters and timeouts and estimated challenge flags and then time in between goals that's just dead on airtime. Right. Uh, so what we had looked at is, okay, the process previously was ball out of net, network shows three replays, refs waiting for the field producer on the 50-yard line to point them in to begin the action, and then he puts the ball down, and then the draw guys go down, and then he measures the sticks, and then he blows the whistle. So we were like, while the, while the instant replays are going, let's get that action underway, Right. not wait for the field producer to point. So that way when the three instant replays are done, you guys are already locked and loaded, and boom, we're back in, and we were saving 20 seconds out of the gates. Right. And then the lines that you called. So – Timing's one thing. You're saying that was the plan before the lines. Then you put the lines in. We right? put the lines in, yeah. After we put that. the lines in and consulting with you guys. Right, 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 right. Because right. we also thought it was not only to your point, arbitrary around the ref going in and right. holding it's, the sticks, but then there's cheating after that. They right. step away and the guy moves a little bit closer. Right. Yeah, yeah. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Or like those like we also there was one where they were putting the ball in last. Yeah. So that yeah. first the ball goes down. That was the original way. Then they measure the sticks and they blow the whistle on. That's how they then they the wanted dogs. to put the sticks down, right. measure them, then put the ball down, measure the sticks again. We're like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. That's how they do it in college now. They put you. They line you up. Then they put the ball down. And they say set, and then back out. It's too much. Get it's the way ball too down. much. Get the ball down. Blow it in. And the whole thing. And my whole thing is, it's turned into this because everybody just complained about. Face off guys doing really well. So then they're 
So then they're making off all these rules. They're like, well, this guy, like, this guy's grabbing his stick every single time. Well, we have to do this. Like, he's leaning every time, basically to take away the advantage, right? Yeah, because you're right. There, when I was playing, even at Hopkins, Greg Pizer took face-offs with Kyle Harrison my freshman year, and now those guys are face-off specialists. Right. And, and it would literally even my senior year, it was Steve Pizer. Probably, probably then that he probably didn't even say set. They like the balls on the ground. No, just be it was like, a rolling whistle. Yeah, big down, down whistle, and like that's it. Some guys came through, crushed it, and then they're like, "Okay, we got to change this up. We got to change this up." And I'm like, "Well, why don't you just get a better face-off guy, or why don't you coach your face-off guy better? Right. You know, like, like what do you? It's why do you want to change? Why do you want to change the rules? You know, if if some guy is really good, and then it opens up that conversation. It was like, all right." Yeah, we pull up to a game. You have twenty goals. Can you, every single game this year? Are they going to say, "All right, Paul Rabel can't shoot two pointers"? Yeah, is that that's my not in our league, right? Like that's like that. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. You know what I'm saying? But that's but like that's what, how I feel when someone's like, "Oh, like it 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 sways the game too much." It's like, well, what like. Can Michael Jordan not shoot three pointers? Not relating any faceoff guy to Michael Jordan, but like if you have a guy who's so talented at what they're doing, why would you take it out of the game? So, what do you think about then doing a lot of instruction so you give back to the community and uh, you know, people sign up for your events so you can teach them the best draw guy in the world, teach them how to take faceoffs, but because the position has evolved in the direction that it has over your lifetime, different than my lifetime playing, um, is that you have kids just playing the game out of the gates as a face-off player, and they didn't develop that long stick attackman skill set that you have. Because even if the face-off position went away, you'd still be able to play. You scored two goals last night with the Wings. You know what I'm talking about? Yo, that's my boy, yo. On the like, four by yo, four. when people say stuff like that, that's like, like that feels good. You know, I like got that you. feels like that, like I'll have like, I'll go 90%. That means more to me than like winning 90%. Because, because I, I get it. It's, it's a real emotional scar. Like for those people who are listening and I've talked about why the faceoff shouldn't be in lacrosse, why it should be. Uh, we've looked at a number of other factors, not to belabor this, but talking about just emotional emotionality in life. Imagine if you're not a face-off person. Imagine being a face-off person and the lion's share of what you hear is from the likes of that John Desco call-out where you're not a talented enough lacrosse player. That's scarring. Yeah. And it, or it's like it does It's just scarring it, yeah. no matter how you cut it yeah, for and it, anyone. And it almost feels like, you know, like it doesn't matter really how hard I work or how dominant I am. It's like, well, you're just a face-off guy still. You know, you know it, it's, it's kind of like um, – you know, I, I know this is an open wound too because people will say face-off players are like place kickers. But let me let me say this: Bill Belichick, who's my guy, he's, he's, for a decade would say the best player in the NFL is Adam Vinatieri for a fucking decade. Yeah, and he would say it confidently, and it was Bill, so no one would question him, and he would back it up by points on the board. Right, he'd just be like. Look, football all around, every player matters and everyone has a job. Adam Vinatieri does his job better than anyone else in the league. Right. Ten years in a row. So, again, know that is a is a sensitive comparison. But if he were Bill, Bill wouldn't argue that because he's so objective. Right. 
Right. Yeah. That's and that's, that's why you're a top five player ranked by the players in the league. Yeah. That 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 was that was cool too. And you were a uh, cool. and you were one of the captains of the All Star game, voted one of two with you and your boy Rambo, the chef, <laughs> the chef boy, chef daddy. <laughs> yeah, who was your number one pick? Uh, yo, you boy. You know what I'm yo, talking about? I got you, boy. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> but no. Yeah. No. You're right. Right, man. Yeah, we we can move off of face-offs, but no, I appreciate you sharing that. One note I do want to say on it. Go. For the kids that are facing off and aren't doing anything else at the youth level, it is bad. Like, it's bad. Yeah, it's play, not good. Play other positions. You got to develop skill. 100%. Yeah. And they – and just because you just because you take a thousand face-offs a day, that's not gonna make you a better face-off guy, right? There's so much more that goes into the face-off than just the clamp. You know, it's everything else. And kids are now starting to confuse, like, okay, if I get the clamp, I I win. You know, but it's like your your job is to get possession for your team. Your job that's isn't the to win the face-off. Yeah, yeah, the way it's statted is you know, you're almost incentivized as a face-off player just to get the ball. Right. And then who cares after that? I'll give another shout-out. So this was post-Seth Tierney. So Coach T was there my freshman and sophomore year, and then we brought in Bobby Benson as Seth took the Hofstra head coaching job my junior year. And one of the things that Bobby would stat were actual possessions where we got our entire offense on the field. I had never looked at a statistic that way, but it was brilliant and also wide-eye opening in that – there are so many possessions in lacrosse that happen. You call them, like, in college lacrosse, call them 50 or so possessions, 50 right. or 60 possessions. But if you break it down, if you if you can term a possession where you have all of your offensive players subbed onto the field, so whether it's your first or second line midfield, and they're actually on the field, we were averaging 18 to 19 for the entire game. So wow. then, if, so then if Really? You're, yeah, because transition... And even and a transition too, goal, like, no shot clock too. Yeah, well, even a transition goal wouldn't count as that possession. And so the way Bobby oh, right, would right, think right, about right. it as our offensive coordinator is, what is our our shot and possession of shot and possession of shot score percentage when our offense is on the field? So that way he could adjust practice schemes in six on six. So when we were running games where our first and second line midfield were evenly distributed, I was getting on the field for eight possessions a game. So then if you boil that down tighter and you're going, well, you scored three goals. Think about it. When you're on the field eight times, there's six other, five other guys on the field with you. They each have an equal shot to shoot and score right. or pass and get an assist. Right. And so if you're walking away with three goals in the college game as a midfielder, it's a hell of a performance because there are so few true full set opportunities with your entire six offensive players on the field. So that's the kind of shit that boils over from, you know, if you're a faceoff guy and you win the ground ball, then you turn it over. Right. Or, you know, the team goes off sides when you get the possession. That's an entirely killed opportunity. Right. Is you the lost midfield, the faceoff. Yeah. It was basically like that whole that whole beginning never happened. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So there's so many ways to look at the game. And that's one of the things that I told John Donowski, who we're at, at in Philadelphia finishing up the lacrosse convention, getting a chance to sit down because you're in the middle of the NLL season with Philly. 
Um, so, I, I, you know, John's here talking with a number of the USA and other World Lacrosse board members about the future of World Lacrosse as we head to the Olympics, which the Olympics is going to be a, a six-on-six or seven-on-seven game. Right. They're still hashing out. And that has largely to do with the difficulty of adopting team sports into the Olympics because they cap total players at 10,000 participants. Right. That's why more individual sports go in versus team sports because then we have to do men's and women's in probably eight to 10 countries from each. So it's a lot of fucking people to bring in. Right. So they're talking about the six on six or seven on seven and like what type of player. That's a totally different game. It's a six on six and that's a smaller field. And my thing is if you're one of the best coaches in the world and you're one of the best players in the world, you'll figure it out. Like that's why you are considered best in class because you have the horsepower upstairs and you have the physical ability on field. Yes, it's gonna take some work and yes, there's gonna be a lot of exhibitions and scrimmages to work through. But the good news is, is it's 2020, the Olympics are in 2028. Right. So we have this mindset that like we worry what's gonna happen. The games are in 2028, I think we'll figure it out. And so my, my tie back to Bobby is I still think from our sports perspective, we're still so new, even at the college level. Definitely. And yeah. as we see more revenue pouring into the sport through the PLL and other means, we're going to see bigger and brighter minds continue to emerge and think about the game differently. Yeah. No, no, I agree. hundred percent. Yeah. That was, that was really well said. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be past my, my playing days though. It might, probably might be I fast. may make a run it at 2022 though, dog. Yo. Let's go. <laughs> Boys are back, baby. <laughs> Yo, talk to me about um, your training now that you're a, a full-time yeah, lacrosse man. player. So yeah. you do PLL, NLL. PLL, NLL, yeah. You know, World team. Yeah, so I guess I'll start by saying, like, I graduated college not really knowing. I think I talked to you about, like, not really knowing if I was going to do, like, full-time lacrosse. You know, like, I was, I was thinking about maybe getting uh, – I got a job offer at, like, a real estate investment firm, and I thought I was going to do that. And I was like, you know, like, this lacrosse thing is going to work, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this. And when I first started, like, it's weird when you're in college. I never – I've never considered myself a lazy person. But when, when I'm in college, you're just on such a – tight schedule and everything's kind of mapped out for you you know and they're like all right you work out you have someone telling you what to do telling you what to eat telling you what to when to do things um and I feel like in college I was successful because I would just oh I would just overdo what they would say so it'd be like oh like do this workout and I would just do it. I would just try to do it better than everybody, you know, or like try to do it better than they thought I could do it. And then once you graduate then you're kind of doing it on your own on like the full time lacrosse thing, I was like, I was lost for a little bit, yep. you know? Um, and it wasn't until this year, like end of last indoor season that like, I figure I, I finally feel good. You know, like I feel like I've, I'm on a routine I was living out in Denver, so now, like, coming into Philly, I had to switch it back up. Like, on a routine, I got a trainer um, doing physical therapy, like, three days a week. Like, that was – and, like, I felt good. Yeah, you know? you got, you've got to commit to it. Right. And you've got to do it from within. It, it's, uh, it's, 
it's a really challenging thing to, to understand because fundamentally it makes sense. Okay, yeah, you no longer have someone grabbing you by your hand and saying we have strength conditioning at 7 a.m. on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. But professionally, I mean, and I think this is largely undiscussed, but we talk about how do we ramp up to get a scholarship in college. And then now with the POL, we believe that there's a lot of excitement to the around the next generation of kids ramping up to try to get to the POL, but take the NBA and the NFL, the perennial leagues that have been around. That's the ramp up. That's the goal. That's the payday, right? Right. But no one talks about once you get there, then what do you have to do? Right. And that's right. why there's so much turnover. People tread all their all their tire weight down. Right. And then they get there and then they're exhausted or they're like, oh shit, what the fuck do I do now? Right. And uh, it's just there's very little guidance. So it's not just a lacrosse thing. I remember when I had graduated, I, w- I did take the job in real estate for nine months. And I was lifting all the time because I hated running, going back to those tyranny miles. <laughs> I bulked up to 235. Yeah, yeah. And then I went to my first uh, indoor tryout, and I was sucking wind. Yeah. <laughs> but I looked like the Hulk. Yeah, you just you <laughs> and then I got in blowing and, up bodies. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a 215 plain just, weight guy. You're just ripping backs. Yeah, <laughs> I was 20 pounds. I was 20 pounds. I, I wasn't. I didn't have a gut, but yeah. it was all in my neck and my shoulders. Like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah, well, I was yeah. pounding weights because I loved it. Oh, my God. And then I got into Jay. So you sounds like similar path for both of us. Yeah, definitely. No, 100%. Yeah, and, like, that was it. Or, yeah, like, when you're by yourself and, like, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to work out hard. And then, like, like you said, you just end up doing the stuff you like doing. You know, <laughs> like, like I'll, just, I'll just do the stuff that I enjoy and or I'll be like, oh, like, uh, like, uh, I'm going to go hard today, but I'm me personally, I don't push myself as hard if I'm alone as if I'm with someone else. doesn't matter who it is, like friend, trainer, anyone, teammate, I'll go so much harder. It's just like biomechanical or biochemical, I should say, release that we get when we're being watched or... There's some. There's a competitor in the weight room, or right. something like that. I mean, I, I felt it here in, in Philadelphia. I was training in the gym in the mornings, and you, you have people who are in the lacrosse world, and they're looking at you, and I'm like, oh fuck, they're looking at me. I yeah, need to be working out hard. Yeah, I'm like, but let then me, you get the juice. Let me get that neck back up. And then up, you're like boy. running yeah, harder. And I'm like, exactly. Yo, that's adrenaline. Yeah, that's pure adrenaline. Yeah. Well, by myself, I'm like. Yo, whatever, man. Checking mail. <laughs> yeah, I'm checking. Yeah, checking, checking text. Exactly. Yeah, I'm like, oh, what's going on? <laughs> what's going on? I'm checking my Snapchat, all of that stuff. <laughs> taking Snapchats, taking Snapchat to the yeah, gym. Letting people not know. lifted. Yeah. Yo, you told me you were gonna do a YouTube channel. I yo yo. No, IGTV. You told me I should do IGTV. And, and, I, and what's I going on with either? You're just you know, busy. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't taken the, taken the step. But if. There is an excuse. There's really no excuse. If you're not following Trevor on Instagram right now, you definitely should be. Hey. The stories are tight. Thank you. Thank you. No, no, no. I, but we're trying to I've figure out how to take that long form yeah. for you. Yeah, no, for sure. UGC geez. related. Because the PLL will keep creating content around you. Yeah. It, 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 because the, the fans PLL want it. content is ridiculous. What do you say, B Rob? You remember, you remember, you remember those uh, those late night conversations before you decided to come over? Yeah, I used to talk to Trevor for two hours on end, literally on end. I was probably so annoyed, bro. Nah, probably he, like, yeah, I'll screw this guy. I, no way. I was like, well, you know, Trevor's the key. Trevor's the key. So, no way. Uh, I remember I used to talk to Mike about, 
Trevor's calling me. I got to go. Shut up. Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> no true. way. Yeah, true. Damn. I mean, we were we were in the trenches I'm building that, the PLL. And I'm I was, that I was boy. Two hours on you. <laughs> Yo, Paul Rabel, put Mike on pause for your boy. Clip that. <laughs> Clip that. Uh, so that so we're awesome. here. What do you got for 2020? Oh man, you know 2020. I'm extremely excited, man. We got TD coming in the league. We got TD coming in the league, and I'm pumped about it. I'm pumped about it. I'm. I think. Uh, He's going to try to take the title. I think he's going to try to take the title. And, like, because I think he should because he's a competitor. Oh, come on. Is he going to take the title? Guess we're going to have to find out. Watch <laughs> on NBC. <laughs> I guess we're going to have to find out. We got to get out. a title. We got to get a belt. We got to get a belt. We got to get a belt. All right, let's make that happen. You know? I think, uh, yeah, no, no, no. He's, uh, that'll be a good battle. I'm excited for that. It's been a while since we got against each other. So what, what you got another All Star campaign? We're gonna try to win a championship together. Yeah, the Bulls are gonna be hot this year. It's gonna be Bulls on parade, Rays against. How you feel about Ben Rubior? I feel I feel really good about him. You know, I think uh, like I was telling you earlier, I'm just ready for him to just. Uh, or someone was telling me the story of him, like he played with him in uh, at UVA, and he was a freshman coming in. Or Ben wasn't a freshman. This guy I was talking to was a freshman. And he goes, uh, he goes, like, I'm sizing everybody up. You know, like, what's going on? Yeah. Rubio is obviously, you know, two-time toward him finalist. Yeah. You know, like, he's, like, like, captain, you know. And he's, like, so I'm looking at him. He's, like, he's like kind of a smaller dude. A little bit frail. Yeah, a little, little smaller. Bangs. Yeah. And you I'm, know, like. Hair over his eyes. Yeah, yeah. Unassuming. Right, right. Very unassuming. And he's looking at me. He's, like, oh, like, like I could definitely D the crap out of this dude. And he put his helmet on. I guess, like, like the locker room's kind of far from the field there. He said he, like, had all of his gear on, put his helmet on, and started, like, like hitting himself in the head with his stick and yelling. Rubes was doing that. Yeah, he was like, yeah. ah, for a practice before practice. Yeah, and then did that, and then just sprinted from the locker room to the field. Yeah, it sounds like Rubes. It, it just nonstop. He's like, he's like, from that point on, he's like dead sprint. Everything he did was just a sprint the whole day. So I've that's never, what I'm excited for. Let's go. <laughs> I've never met a competitor like Ben. Yeah. Yo, he goes. Ah! <laughs> Let's go, Alice! <laughs> He's gonna be Sprinting. slamming his head. He's when gonna I, spread out the tunnel. <laughs> Rubes, the only other guy that I see compete and and move around like that in pregame is John Galloway. John Galloway yeah, will come out sprinting yeah. and will take two laps around the field, and then he'll get into his crease and go through his warmups. Rubes is like that. Yeah. Rubes would sprint out of the locker room, take laps around the field. Wow. Competitor, competitive as all hell. Yeah. All right, dog. Love that. You demand. Is that the wrap? That's the wrap. Wrap it up, yo. Great job. Thanks for having me. This is great. And uh, yeah, close it out. You gonna close it out? What should I close it out? I mean, as? I tried to close it out, but you are gonna take it away? No, no, you close it out. You dropped the mic, bro. Uh, that's right. We're closing it out, and now I'm dropping the mic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I hope you all enjoyed the conversation with my teammate, my quarterback. 
the ultimate speed factor, Trevor Baptiste. Make sure you hit him with a follow on Instagram. His handle is at TrevorBaptiste9. Also, one more time, subscribe, rate, and review Unbuckled Chinstrap Podcast right now. Your support is immensely appreciated. Thank you very much, and we'll talk next week. Mm.